Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and worshiping with us today. Today, we continue in a series that we've been going through for several weeks now called The Practices of Grace, really the things that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus did to help us to increase our God capacity. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about things like the practice of confession, the practice of Bible intake, the practice of prayer. Last week, if you're here, you know Matthew did a great job talking about the practice of forgiving. Um, and today we're going to be talking about another practice. Um, and it's a practice that I think could be very easily dismissed or looked over, but it's enormously important for our spiritual lives because I really do think it helps us understand God's grace and how to reflect God's grace to others. And, the, and that in, in all honesty, it is a practice that I have personally had to work on. Um, it's not necessarily a natural thing. The practice we're going to be talking about is the practice of rejoicing. And you may say, well, wait a minute, Scott, that's something you've had to work on? Yes, it's something I've had to work on. You say, well, you seem like a happy guy. Well, I hope I am. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I get rejoicing all that, all that well all the time. That doesn't mean that I don't need to at times be reminded that I need to stop and I need to celebrate and I need to rejoice. And so it's enormously important for us to understand as a practice of God's grace. I, I don't know about you, but for me, my background, I grew up in a home where you were expected to work. And you were expected to get your job done and you do it right. Anyone grow up in that kind of a background? I grew up in that background and the expectation was you work. In fact, my mom would quote the, this, this passage, this verse uh, from 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It was like, he who does not work does not eat. <laughs> and she meant it. Okay? It's not something that you had to pray about. You just had to work. That's just how, how it went. And you're expected to get the job done and do it right. Some of you are familiar with that background. And oftentimes, the, the reality is working is not a bad thing. And wanting to do a job right is not a bad thing either. But sometimes we can grow up or be a part of certain environments where that becomes the thing. Where working hard becomes the great value. And it becomes the key measurement for, uh, you know, your worth. And in that sense, it can be very dangerous. See, as a pastor, I've been to a lot of memorial services. And um, you've been to services, perhaps, I've been to services, and perhaps you have too, where there's someone who, um, who passes away who didn't necessarily live a very positive life. Maybe they were a terrible boss or a, a lousy husband or a, an angry drunk. And so when it's time in that memorial service for people to get up and share, it can be a little awkward because it's like, ooh, what are we going to say? And it's difficult for people to say, well, how do I say something positive about this person? And oftentimes in those scenarios, there is a, a kind of an awkward silence until finally someone will get up and they'll say, well, there's one thing you can say about old friend, old Fred, he sure was a hard worker. And everyone's like, yep, he sure was a hard worker. As if that kind of atones for all the other sins, you know what I mean? If there's like that one value, then it covers everything else. And then you say it because at some level, if you leave, you feel a little bit better about it because that becomes the value that kind of becomes the measurement of your worth. And maybe you've grown up in that, that environment or have that as part of your background. My dad was in the military. And so in our home growing up, there were inspections, okay? 
And if you didn't pass inspection, you were brought right back to the place you were before. And you get it done, and you get it right, and, and then you look for something else to do afterwards, right? That's kind of how it goes. And maybe you know that. That's part of your background too. Maybe you, you know what it's like in, in your home or whatever environment you, you've had in your background where you can't imagine being caught standing around doing nothing. If your dad caught you standing around doing nothing, he'd say, well, I can give you something to do, right? And then two hours, you know, two hours later, or maybe two years later, you're finally done with it, okay? And then when you're done, you get on to the next thing. So some of you are familiar with that background where this, that's, hey, you, you get your, you got a job, you get it done, and you get it right, and you get on to the next thing. The challenge with that is it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for celebrating, does it? See, when it's the orientation that says, okay, well, I've climbed the hill, and this is a nice hill, but is there a bigger hill that I can climb up next? Let's go for it, right? And for those of you who have that kind of a background, when someone says, hey, let's stop and let's celebrate or let's stop and rejoice, for you, it sounds suspiciously like goofing off and you need to get back to work. You know what I'm talking about? And so it's, it's important. Again, it's not the bad thing that you want to get work done and do it right. But when it's get work done, get it right, get on to the next thing and get on to the next thing. And there's no space and no margin for celebrating and rejoicing. It, it can be a, a real danger. And you can miss something that God has called us to be about as his people, which is to stop and to rejoice, to stop and celebrate. That's what this practice that we're going to be looking at today helps us with. And it's helped me tremendously because, again, um, as a bit more of a driven person, as a person who thinks about tasks and projects constantly, it's helpful for me to stop and see that God in his word commands us to rejoice. That God in his word commands us to stop and to celebrate. And when we recognize that, that it's, it's a practice that we're commanded to do, but it's not just a command, but it's also a gift of God's grace that he's given us because when we celebrate, when we rejoice, it increases our responsiveness to a God who is gracious to us and helps us to reflect God's grace to the people around us. So it's enormously important that we get. And today we're going to look at a passage that talks about rejoicing. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 16. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 16. And in a certain sense, um, we're going to start in verse 9 through 22. In a certain sense, I'm kind of cheating because we should be doing the whole chapter. Because in this, in this chapter, there is um, instructions on the three major festivals in, in ancient Israel. Um, but we're going to skip the first, uh, the first festival because if I got going on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the, the, the Passover, um, you know, we could be here for a long time. So um, I've got like four hours worth of teaching and I only want to keep you here for two, right? So that's kind of what I've kind of cheating a little bit to say we're going we're to kind of skip that one, um, not, spend, not spend as much time on that so we can spend time on the other two, but still concept, get the concept of what it means to practice rejoicing and celebrating. So um, what I want you to do is once you find the, the passage, um, if you don't have it, hopefully you have the handout, it's printed there for you. Let's stand in honor of God's word and we'll read it together. Um, just again, like quick background context. This is Moses that he's, he's talking to the people of Israel and they're just about to enter into the promised land. And Moses is not going with them, so he's giving them instructions, uh, his expectations of what they're to do when they get into the promised land. And what he wants them to understand is when you get there, stop and celebrate. 
remember to stop and rejoice. And so that's what he wants them to get. Um, there's the three festivals. We're skipping the first one. He's, we're going to jump right into the second one, which is the Festival of Weeks. Here's, here's what it says, starting in verse 9. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles. For seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press, be joyful at your festival. You, your sons and daughters, and your male and female servants, and the Levites and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who give in, live in your towns, for seven days celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest, in all your work, in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete." Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord uh, your God has blessed you. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and, and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Do not set up any wooden Asherah poles before, besides the altar you, um, you build to the Lord your God, and do not erect a sacred stone, for these the Lord your God hates. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. We'll take a look at this together. Now, I recognize that I've taken on a lot by bringing this passage to you because I have to assume that you may not know a whole lot about the ancient Jewish festivals that they were required to do. But then beyond that, I also have to assume that you may not know, uh, you know, a whole lot about the book of Deuteronomy itself. Um, maybe you're here and you've chosen to join in with us on our um, Bible reading plan that we're doing as a church this year, uh, the plan to read through the Bible in a year. Or maybe you've, you've, you've uh, tried to say, hey, I'm going to read through the Bible in, in, at some point in your life. And my guess is, you know, you read through Genesis, that's good. You got through Exodus, that's good. But then you hit Leviticus. And that's where most people crash and burn. And so I have to assume at some level that you may not, you know, that, that Exodus and, 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 and Deuteronomy, Numbers and Deuteronomy, sorry, Numbers and Deuteronomy may be a bit of a mystery to you because you didn't get past Leviticus. And so what I want to do is just really quickly just talk for a moment about the first five books of the Bible uh, and kind of explain them really briefly so you can get a picture of them. The first five books are really grouped together as the five books given to us by Moses. And so what I want to do is just quickly look at those and give you a, a one-word summary for each. So it gives you a bit of an understanding. It'll help you understand um, where De Deuteronomy fits in as well. So if you're a note-taker, you're welcome to take notes here. Um, there's first the first book uh, that's given to us by Moses, and that is uh, Genesis. And my one-word summary for Genesis would be ruin. Ruin. And I would say ruin because it records the fall of humanity through Adam and Eve. 
And it is, it is the, the, the great fall that's recorded there. Now, I also will say that in Genesis, we have the great hope of restoration. Um, so it very is a, is a very hopeful book, but it's important that we get that first part, which is that understanding of, of ruin that takes place uh, as a result of sin. Then there's uh, Genesis Exodus, and the one-word summary that I would give for that is redemption. Redemption. Um, because the book of Exodus is about the redemption of God's people as they're brought out of slavery from Egypt um, through the, the blood of the Passover lamb. So it's a great, it's the great um, theme of the book is redemption of God's people. It's a, be- it's a beautiful thing. And then there's uh, Exodus Leviticus, which is about communion. Communion. So not, o- not only does God want to redeem his people, he wants to um, commune with people. He wants to have a relationship with you, which, by the way, is what all those sacrifices and offerings are all about. It's about God wanting a relationship with his people. So it's about communion. Then there's numbers. My one-word summary for numbers would be direction. Direction. Numbers, if you've read it, you know, there's the Israelites are going from here to here and here to here, and they're wandering from place to place. It really records a lot of their, their wanderings. Um, and yet at the same time, what you need to see is that in the midst of their wandering, you have God's hand still guiding them. That in the midst of their, desi- their rejection of God, that he still desires to lead them and direct them. And it, it's a beautiful thing that we, we see um, in Numbers. And then Deuteronomy is destination. The one word there would be destination. And this is because this is where God um, gets his people to the destination that he wants them to be. He gets them to the, the, the edge there of the, of the promised land. And that's, that's what, what um, this is about. We see the, the, them coming to that great destination. Now, these five books are also called uh, Torah, which is Hebrew for the law. So you've heard of the Torah. These are the first five books of, of Moses. You've heard of the Pentateuch. That's also um, the same five books. It's Greek for the five writings. So this is, this is the five books, and it's important for us to get. Now, when we get to Deuteronomy, we have Moses um, who's speaking to the people, and he's, God has brought his people to the destination, that is the promised land, and Moses is not going with them, and so he's giving them a, a second um, a statement of the law. So uh, Deutero is, is two, second, uh, namas, law, so it's the second giving of the law. He's giving the law to a new generation that's, um, you know, been the, the Israelites have wandered through the, the desert for 40 years now. This new generation is heading into the promised land. It's a second uh, law, second statement of the law that he's giving them to prepare them for the promised land, the destination by which God has brought them to. And it's tucked in there that Moses says, when you get to the promised land, the place that God has brought you, make sure that you stop and celebrate. Make sure that you built in, build into your calendar, built into your lives, rejoicing. This is a command of God, and we see it here in, in, the, in this, in this uh, chapter, chapter 16, that there's three um, major Jewish festivals, festivals that they were to all gather together for. They were to to, to come together for these three major festivals. And so what I'll do is just for a moment is just talk about those three major festivals and then we'll get a little bit more detailed and learn the practice together. But first of all, just let me show the, the major festivals. The first one is the Festival of Unleavened Bread and that's verses one through eight, um, which were um, passing, you're skipping over for time, but it really has the, it's the same uh, festival as the Passover. So the Passover is, is also uh, that, 
that same time. So you may hear about Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's, the, it's, it's really the same thing. Then the second one is the Festival of Weeks, which is verses 9 through 12 in this chapter. That's also called Pentecost. So uh, the Feast of, Festival of Weeks is also called the Festival of Pentecost. Maybe you've heard it that way as well. Then there's the F- Festival of Booths. Um, and you've got to be careful how you say Festival of Booths because uh, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I've been to that festival. Yeah, booths, yeah. Um, no, that's not, that, you got to be really careful. It's not that booths, it's booths, okay? So booths are tents or tabernacles, and so that's the other way it's been called tabernacle. Tabernacle is a tent, and so it's when God's people lived in little tents or, ta- or like little tabernacles for a, a time. So those are the three major festivals. Now, we will get to why this is important here in just a moment, but let me just for a second uh, just say this. In your tra- before we go into more detail, I'll just say this. In your translation, you may read these, and it's talking about the feast. And I might even say feast, because I grew up talking about the feast of uh, tabernacles, or the feast of unleavened, unleavened bread, the feast of weeks. Um, and that's fine. That's a good translation. Um, but festival is, is, I think, very helpful, because when we think in our modern, with our modern ears, feast, what do we think about? We think about eating, Right? And we, in our modern world, we get eating. Um, we get eating well, actually. We understand overeating, right? Um, this is something that we, we get. But what we need to understand in, in this context, this is more than just a meal. This is more than just eating. Uh, it's, it's a whole week, oftentimes, of, of festivities, a whole week of celebration. And so it's, it's more than just a meal. And, and oftentimes when we think feast, we think we're going to eat out of a great meal and Sometimes we don't even know why we're eating, but we're eating, right? Um, and sometimes the, it's, and if we do know why we're eating, it's oftentimes not as a, a celebration, a recognition of all that God has done for us. So feast is good. That's fine. It's part of this, this celebration, but it's so much more. It's a recognition of all that God has done. And so it's a whole, whole celebration of rejoicing and, and it's a whole festival. So that's just a helpful thing as you kind of look at these here with me. Now, the first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And um, I just want to say a few things about it before we go into the other two, because it is helpful because it does teach us some things about the practice of rejoicing. The Feast of Unleavened, of Unleavened Bread, by the way, um, if you remember, this is the great feast or festival of remembrance when God brought his people out of slavery from Egypt. You know that Moses was directed by God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. They'd been enslaved by the Egyptians. And Pharaoh was stubborn. And of course, as a result of that, there was a number of of plagues. Uh, But again, the stubbornly refused to let God's people be uh, freed and to go until finally there's the final plague, the, the, the firstborn, the death of the firstborn. Um, that takes place, that finally breaks Pharaoh's will and back. But there's also within that, there's this, this protection for those who had placed their faith in, in God. And there was a protection in that, that moment of the, the plague of the death of the firstborn, where you could put the blood of a lamb over the doorpost, and if you put your, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, then the death angel would pass over those homes. That's where we get the term 
Passover because the death angel passed over those homes and the, the, the firstborn was not, uh, wasn't death there in that home. And so that's where we get this concept of this celebration. And it's called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread because when, it, when Pharaoh finally said, okay, f- get out of here. I've had enough. This is, this is it. You need to go and you need to go now. Moses went to the people and was like, okay, you know, we're finally being released. We're, we're, we're being set free. And so let's go and let's leave Egypt. And because they had to leave so quickly, they didn't have time to put yeast or also called leaven in the bread and to, to allow it to rise. And so it was really the, the, more of a cracker like matzah that they, they took with them. And so it's a remembrance of that moment, this moment of, 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 of their independence, their freedom from slavery that they have and that, that Passover time. And so that's what this is about. That's the first festival that I wasn't going to teach you about, but, that, but that's what it is. Now, the reason why I say all this is because it is helpful to understand why this is important. It is a feast of remembrance, a festival of remembrance. And so when it comes to the practice of rejoicing, here's what, here's what I want you to see, that it helps us look back at where we were. Look back at where you were. This first festival is to remind them, hey, remember you were once slaves. You were once um, held captive in bondage, but God in his grace, um, he's set you free. And it's to be a reminder of that and that, that unleavened bread, that Passover time, it's the reminder to look back and see what God has done. And that's important for us to do as well. In our rejoicing, we look back and we see God's deliverance in our life, his freedom in our life. They look back and they say that God set them free from slavery in Egypt. We look back and we see what God has set us free through Jesus Christ, um, through the forgiveness of our sins. And it's, and it's an interesting thing. When Jesus was crucified, by the way, it was during Passover week. You knew that? Did you know that? So as all the Jewish people were celebrating Passover, that is, they're, they're, they're um, offering the, the lamb as sa- the la- their lambs as sacrifice to remember the Passover, um, Jesus, the lamb of God, was hanging on a cross um, for the sins, uh, to set us free uh, for anyone who would come to him in faith. This is this great picture that we get to look back on, and this, we were delivered. We've been set free through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, his sacrifice on the cross. So we look back. We look back to where we were. And for some of you, you need to stop and say, yeah, I, part of my rejoicing is look back and say, I was in bondage. I was captive. I was held a slave, and I've been set free. I've been forgiven, and it's worth rejoicing. That's why this is such an important thing for us to get, and it helps us with the practice of rejoicing. Now, the second one um, starts in verse 9. Now, let's look at it together. The second uh, festival, it says this, count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. So he's talking about the second festival now in verse 9, and he says, count off seven weeks from the time you begin. So this is actually right after Passover. This is when this would take place, and the counting is interesting. You're going to count seven weeks and how many days in a week? So there's seven days in se- times seven weeks gets to 49, right? But then on the next day, that's the 50th day, that's when the celebration takes place, which is why it's called Pentecost, because in Greek, Pentecostus is the, the 50th. And so that's the, that's the concept of, of Pentecost. It's after 50 days. Now, what is, what is important for us to get here is that, that God says, hey, I want you to count I want you to count the weeks. I want you to count the days as you're harvesting. And the whole point is this, that as you're counting, 
every day, and you're getting to that, this, this great festival, you're seeing that God is providing every day along the way. That every day, as you're, as you're going out to harvest, look, God, you're still providing. More, more is coming. More is coming. And it's this provision of God that they see as they're counting. So it's a part of this um, seeing God's provision as they go along. Then verse 10 says this, Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. So as they're counting and they're seeing God's provision through the harvest, and they, they come to a point now where they're to celebrate um, what God has been doing how he has been providing it. How are they to celebrate in this verse? It says, you're to celebrate the festival of the weeks, the Lord your God, by what? By giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord has given you. So how they're to celebrate? They're to give. You're like, wait, wait, I thought that, you know, I was supposed to get stuff at my celebrations, right? But this is different. As part of their recognition of God's provision, they say, okay, now I give, that there's a giving component. And this is, a, this is a remarkable remarkable thing, that, that part of our worship, part of our rejoicing is also giving. That God calls us to celebrate, but he also calls us to give. And I understand that at church and with church leaders, many, many pastors struggle with the concept of talking to the church or talking to people about giving. And I understand the struggle because the last thing a pastor wants is for the church to feel guilted into giving. The last thing a pastor wants is for someone who's investigating God to show up to church and hear a giving message, give, 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 and they think to themselves, all the church wants is my money. I get that, and I'm sensitive to that, and I don't want that either. I don't want you or anyone who's coming to our church or any church to feel guilted or pressured into giving. But what I also have to recognize is that if I don't talk about giving, and if I don't talk about bringing offerings, then I'm ignoring a command of God. That he says, when you celebrate, when you worship, you give. Isn't that interesting? And so we can't ignore it. We can't miss it. We've got to be sensitive about it. But this is what God has called followers to do. That as we receive, we give. That's what we're called to do. In fact, this next week, we're, um, as, a, as our church, we're going to be bringing back uh, the passing around of an offering. We're going to pass around a basket. And I know many of you give online. That's great. But we're still going to pass around an offering because it's part of worship. When we worship, we also give. And there's several reasons why we, we think it's a good thing for us to do. First of all, um, we want to hear from you. And we have found that when COVID hit and we stopped passing anything around, we heard less from you. I know we talked about the connection card, the communication card. Remember to fill it out, put it in the back or bring it. But you don't always do that. You forget. And we have found that the number of prayer requests, the number of communication has gone down since COVID when we stopped passing something during the service. And so we're going to pass something in the service. So it's like, oh, yeah, I can put in my communication card right here, right now. Here's how I need prayer. Here's the information that I'd love to be able to communicate with with the church. We want to be able to hear from you. We want to increase that, um, that connection and that communication. But at the same time, there's also an element of like, yeah, this is part of worship. Part of worship is also saying, okay, God, you, I've received so much from you that I'm also called by you to give back, to bring an offering to you. Now, do we, off, do we bring an offering to God because he's hurting financially? Is that why we do it? I mean, is it, is it that God is so low on resources that, man, I've got to help God out by bringing my offering? 
No, that's not it. God calls us to give in response to his generosity to us. And it's when we give that all of a sudden we become more responsive to his generosity in our lives. It's when we recognize as I give, God, it's, it's because you've been giving to me. So it actually increases our understanding, our recognition of his grace and his, his work in our life. And it, and, it, and it calls us forward in that way. So it's important. And then notice in this passage that God puts himself on a performance contract. Do you see that here? He says, um, but give your free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. So he's like, bring a percentage based on what I'm bringing to you. Does that make sense? So if God doesn't bring the blessing, then you don't bring the offering. Does that make sense? But as God does bless, as God does provide, then we give a proportion to that. So that's it. And then over the festival of weeks, they're just watching God bring in the harvest. God bring in the harvest. And after those 49 days, 50 days, wow, God, I've looked around and I see all that you have been doing. You have been so gracious and you've been so kind. And it, and, and it reminds us of God's provision in our lives. So next verse, it says this, and rejoice before the Lord. So it's not just that we celebrate, we rejoice in verse 11. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose as the dwelling of his name. You, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows living among you. So what are we supposed to do uh, as part of this festival? We're supposed to party. That's what they're supposed to do. Some of you are like, yes, I love this, right? Throw a party. And it's to, we're to throw a party, and we're not to um, exclude anyone. Do you get that? But at the same time, hey, you're all to come together for a big, giant party to celebrate, to rejoice. And, by the way, don't forget to invite everyone in your household. Don't forget to, don't overlook people in the process of, in, of who we bring and incorporate in the celebration of who God is and what he's done. So we bring them all with us. This is an important, uh, important aspect um, for us to see, um, that people are not overlooked, that we do rejoice and we party in that way. Now then verse 12, it says this, remember that you are slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. So again, it's a remembrance. We rejoice to remember God's provision. The first one, the first festival, the festival of, of, of unleavened bread, it reminds us we've been set free from slavery, that we remember what God has done. But this one is also remembering that we've been set free, but that it's also a reminder that we get to see how God continues to provide for us. And so if you want to write down the second part of that, the purpose or the practice of rejoicing is this, not just that we look back to where we were, but we look around to see what God has given to you. We look around to see what God has given to you. And here's the amazing thing. They're watching the harvest come in. They're looking around saying, God, wow, you're continuing to provide. Guess what? At the time of Pentecost in the New New Testament, isn't this so great? That it was at Pentecost that God gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? That the, the followers of Christ received the gift of the Holy Spirit. God is still providing And it happened at Pentecost. So there's still this provision that we see, that we celebrate, this rejoicing as we look around and we see what it is that God is doing. So when we practice rejoicing, it's not just looking back and saying, God, look what you saved me from, but it's looking around and saying, God, look what you're doing now. Look how you're providing in my life. And it's important for us to build that practice into our habits, into our life. I meet with 
a group of pastors um, monthly, local pastors here in the Tri-Cities. And I love it because there's this one pastor in particular who, you know, when pastors get together, um, we, we can kind of commiserate with each other a bit. And there's this part of us that's like, ah, oh, here's all the burdens. Here's all the struggles. Let's pray for each other. You know, here's the challenge that we're facing. But there's this one pastor that every single time I see him, he's like, he just says, what exciting things is God doing in your church this month? You know what I mean? Every time, what exciting things do you see God doing? And I just love it because it just kind of puts you back to say, what can we rejoice in? Yes, we've got problems. Yes, we've got challenges. Yes, there's burdens. But what can we, be, what can we stop and say, how's God working? What's he doing in, in the church? Not just your church, but in the churches all citywide in Tri-Cities. And I love that. For me, um, I've had to build into um, my practices as a leader, as I lead meetings during the week um, with our staff, to build in times to celebrate. That in my agenda, up front, right at the top, is what can we celebrate this past week? And it's important because for me, I, I'm, I'm a task-oriented, and I have projects, and there's problems, and there's things, that initiatives that we want to see moving forward, and how can we get these things solved? And I have, trust me, I have an agenda, things that I want to work on, but I've learned that I need to stop and say, but where is it that we can celebrate God at work? And it's helpful because it increases our God awareness. And as a, as a team, as a staff, it just helps remind us, okay, God, you're working. Yes, we can bring to us all these different things, but we have to stop and recognize where is it that you're working and to celebrate those things, to take time to rejoice in those. For some of you, that can happen personally, where you just say, you know what, this week when I come before the Lord, I'm just going to write out all the things that I can praise God for. Maybe it's a journal. Uh, maybe it's just in your own prayer time. You personally say every day, God, I want to rejoice. I want to celebrate what you're doing, and i got to start with that. I want to get there before I get to all the problems, all the agendas, all the requests that I want to bring to you. But instead, first, I got to say, God, how, how is it that you're working that I can see and rejoice? Because guess what? When we stop and we see God working and we, and we recognize um, his provision in our life, it increases our God awareness. It increases our understanding of his grace in our life. And so it's an important thing. And I know some people here, you're wired to see problems. You're wired to be critical thinkers. And I get that. And there's a gift. But at the same time, if you don't stop and discipline yourself to say, but what is it that God's doing that's good? What is it that God's doing in my life that I need to rejoice in and celebrate? Um, You're missing it. And you, you do that practice, the practice of rejoicing, celebrating God, it will change your week. It will change your day. Trust me, and it will make an impact in the lives of the people around you. So it's so important that we, that we really get this. I think you can do it as a family too, by the way. Um, in our family, oftentimes in the meals, uh, especially in the evening meal, we'll take time with our kids and we'll just do highs and lows. And the same concept is there. Hey, what, what can we t- talk about that God's doing or what can we celebrate as well as the challenges that are going on. But it's so it's part of the rhythm of our conversations. Let's, let's, let's not just talk about the problems. Let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. What is it that we can see that God is doing? It's an important thing that we need to, need to be doing. So we look back to where we were. We look around to see what God is doing, and it opens up our awareness, our recognition of who God is and what he's doing. Now, the third one uh, is, is in the next verse. Let me read it for you. It says this, Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. So the t- festival of tabernacles or booths, this is where um, uh, this would happen three and a half months after 
Pentecost, and this was at the end of harvest time, they would have another celebration. And they would, the, the, the idea is there's a festival of tabernacles, that is they would live during this time, this week, in little tents or booths to remind, remind themselves, remember, the years of wandering when they lived in tents and, and they were traveling and wandering before they got to the promised land. So that's the, that's the concept there. Then verse 14, it says this, be joyful at your festival, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. So be joyful. It's a command. Be joyful at your festival. Have fun at your festival. And again, don't neglect anyone. Bring everyone else into it. Enjoy the, the people that God has blessed you with. So don't be stingy. Invite everyone in. Then verse 15, it says this. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. Seven days. Again, this is more than just a meal, right? This is a long extended period of time where they're celebrating, where they're rejoicing together. It's a whole festival that they're putting on. And if they're do, to do it at the place that God would choose, for the Lord your God will bless you in your harvest and all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. So, Again, he's calling them to come together to review, to, as a time to be uh, rejoicing and celebrating. So what's the point of this one? What's the purpose behind it? What's the practice that we can get out of this festival in terms of rejoicing? Let me, let me give the third thing. The third one there is this, to look how far you have come by God's grace. Not just that we look back to what God has done, not to look around to see his provision, that we look how far we have come because they're living in tents and they're like, man, it reminds us of where we were, but look how far we have come now that we're not living in tents. We're not living in little booths anymore, little tabernacles. We, God has brought us into the promised land. He's cared for us. So it's seeing how far he has come, and it's at the end of the harvest, which is also another moment for them to say, wow, look at it. Look at all that God has done for us in care, his care and provision for us. And so it's important that we look how far we've come. And for some of you, that just is a, it's helpful for you to just stop and maybe see how far you've come. And for some of you, it's maybe helpful for, to say, where should I be? Is maybe the question you could be asking that you should rejoice in that you're not there. Because I know some of you, you're like, I should be either dead or in prison by now, right? But by God's grace, I'm not there. And so look how far you've come. That's celebrating and rejoicing God's grace in your life. Some of you are saying, well, I, I grew up in an in a, in a abusive home or a, a home where there was abuse of, of substances. But here, look how far I've come. Look where I'm at. Maybe some of you grew up in a, a very hostile environment. But by God's grace, you're at a place where you're learning to manage your own anger. Some of you who've grown up in very legalistic environments. And it's good for you to stop and recognize and celebrate, God, look how far you've brought me in terms of understanding your grace for me and the grace that you have for the people around me. Look how far I've come by your grace. Some of you have grown up in environments where, um, or just in your own struggle, you've been very self-centered, self-focused. And over time, you're able to look back, and now you're at a spot where you're saying, God, um, it's not that I still don't fight that, but man, look how much more I'm interested in serving others than finding ways for others to serve me. Look how far I've come by God's grace, and recognize it, rejoice in it, celebrate how God's grace has been working in your life and where he's brought you. And it's important and it's good for us to do that. And there's lots of ways you have your own stories and your own different 
ways that you've seen God work in your life. I think of one from me. Um, You may not know this about me, but um, I get to come up here on a regular basis and blab, right? Um, That's what I do. But I got to be honest with you. I hate public speaking. And I'm serious. I really do not like public speaking. When I was looking at colleges um, in high school, looking for like where to go for, for colleges, in terms of schools that I was applying for, I would look at what the core requirements were for graduation. And if there was a public speaking requirement for graduating, I did not apply for that school. That's how fearful I was of public speaking and how much I hate it. I got put into an environment, kind of a thrust into an environment where I was to speak in front of a group of people. And as I got up to speak, I had a literal panic attack on stage. I could not get out one coherent sentence because I started hyperventilating. Look how far I've come by God's grace. Yeah? Now, there's still moments that I'm not sure I'm getting coherent sentences out, but at least I've learned how to breathe and talk at the same time. And that's, that's good. See, this is God's grace, and I have to stop and recognize that and be reminded, God, you're gracious, you're good. Look how far I've come by your grace. You have your stories. You have your moments, and you've got to stop, recognize it, remember it, celebrate it. Then he just kind of reminds us here in this uh, next verse, says this, Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place where he will choose. At the festival of unleavened bread, where you look back. uh, The festival of weeks, where you look around. And the festival of tabernacles, where you look how far you have come. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. So again, you're bringing an offering to the Lord as you recognize and remind it of his grace in your life. And what I want you to see here in this part of this passage is that this is not just an individual um, practice. This is a corporate practice. Do you get that? That they are all to come together. Now, we're to re- practice rejoicing individually. That's good. And it's good for our hearts because it increases our understanding and recognition of God's grace in our life. But we're also to do it corporately. They're to come together. And we're to do the same. We're also corporately to come together and, and to celebrate what God is doing. In fact, this last summer, if you were here, you know that we did something called One Epic Week. And um, when we talked about this, this week of celebrating that we were bringing to the church, I brought the idea of we should call it a festival. That idea got shut down. <laughs> and I'm glad it did because the creative team said, let's come up with something better. And they came up with this concept of one epic week. And it really is. It is one epic week. And it happened at the end of summer, which really is the end of harvest time for us. After all of our camps, after all of our experiences, all the kids, different things going on. It is harvest time to say, look what you have done, God. So at the end of the summer, we stopped and said, we're going to celebrate And not just a little celebration, we're going to do a full week of celebration. And at the celebration, guess what we did? We feasted, right? All you can eat hot dogs. Wasn't that great, right? (laughs) So we feasted. We had had food, and there was other food expressions along the way. We also had fun. We had events where we can connect and grow together. We, We could laugh. We could have joy. We could just connect with other people. And maybe you met somebody new through one epic week. Or you just came and you realized, hey, it's okay to laugh. It's serious business to laugh, right? It's, it's a good thing. Serious spiritual business to laugh. And that's okay. That also part of our one epic week, we did a, a whole service 
concept. We just emphasized, let's give. And so all week long, we were collecting backpacks for kids so that we could have something to give kids who were, were in need as they started out the school year. So at the end of the summer, that's what we did. We also dedicated a full day where we said, you know what, we're going to serve together collectively as a church and make a difference in the community. So we had different service projects going on where we sent you out where we could serve. Again, it's giving as part of celebrating. It's rejoicing. And then the whole week ended with a final celebration at the end. One service, all together, let's rejoice. Let's be reminded of how good our God is and, how, what, and His grace in our life. And here's the good news. We're going to do one epic week again this summer, okay? And our, our team is already talking about, um, talking about it. I have a picture. Go ahead and show it. Just, just to kind of remind you of some of the things. We did a bunch of different events I just brought a couple of pictures so that they're fun. But we're going to do it again, end of August. It's an opportunity for us as a church collectively to rejoice. Now, it's possible that you could look at an event like this and say, ah, you know, it just feels like it's so, you know, over the top. It's overkill. A full week. Yes, it's a full week because God's worth are rejoicing and celebrating even for a full week. And it's good for us. To, to come together. You say, well, I don't know the resources. I know. Guess what? We get to celebrate and rejoice because of what God has given to us, and, and, it, and it's a way for us to say, yeah, let's be joyful. Let's stop and rejoice. Let's practice it together and invite people in. Let's not forget people. Let's invite people in so that they can rejoice and experience God's grace along with us. And so it's just an important thing that, that we, we get and we get it corporately. So again, the three practices that we have are the looking back to where you were, looking around to see what God has given to you. Look how far you've come by God's grace. Now, the class question is, well, how do, how do I know if I'm doing it right? What are kind of the quality controls? Well, if it has, if we're rejoicing right and we're responding to God and His grace, then it ought to make an impact in, um, have an outcome in the world around us. And so I'll just give you the last three things from these final verses. It, may, it ought to give us perspective and make a change in our lives when it comes to society. So it has, it has to give us perspective in a societal way. And so that's this next few verses. Let me read it for you. It says this. It says, appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God has given you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Verse 19, do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Next verse, follow justice and justice alone so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God has given you. So when we rejoice and we recognize God's grace in our life, guess what? We see people differently. We don't stratify them. We don't think we're better than them. We say we want justice for people. We want to care for people. As God has give, blessed us and, and been generous to us, we need to be generous towards others. So it has a societal impact, but it's not just a societal impact, but it, has, it gives us perspective when it comes to sensual, sensuality. And that's the next verse here. Um, the next verse is, is this. Do not set up a wooden, any wooden Asherah pole besides your altar and build to the Lord your God. I don't have a whole lot of time to go into this, but the Asherah pole, um, just to put it delicately, was a, 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 a kind of a vulgar a part of worship um, in, in, from, from, you know, the kind of the cults around, and it was really setting up fertility is the main thing. And with the Asherah pole, there was the prostitutes that would come around it. And so he's saying, listen, listen, as you go to worship and, you're, and you speak to God and you're waiting for him to answer, don't think to yourself, okay, while I'm waiting and God's not responding, then I need to, you know,
know, kind of find some other way to occupy myself or to find some other ways to find a pleasure or a connection because God saying, he says, no, listen, you can get sucked into this. If you don't stop and rejoice and recognize God's grace in your life, even the grace of pleasure, that God's created pleasure for us in the right context and it's his gift. But when we don't wait on God and his timing and his gifting, we can be swayed to go with the culture and go in, in, in a way that would be dangerous for us. And so he's saying, we're warning you from that. And as we rejoice and we recognize God's grace in our life and his gifts and we celebrate, it actually is a protection for us to going and finding um, p- uh, pleasure or fulfillment in things other than God. And that's the next one too. So it's not just that it's, uh, it impacts and gives perspective in our sensuality, but also spiritually. And that's the, the last verse there. Last verse is this, and do not erect a sacred stone for these your Lord, your God hates. And so don't set up idols. Again, when we rejoice and we take time to practice celebrating, it reminds us that God is there. God is providing. God's the one who's brought us from out of slavery into freedom. And we won't be tempted to go to anything less than God, which is an idol, for um, our security. And so he says, listen, celebrating, rejoicing, it keeps us on track. It keeps us from being dangerous and falling into these other habits or other patterns that are less than God. So again, part of the practice of rejoicing and celebrating keeps us closer to God and and understanding his grace in our life. And let me remind you one last time, God and his grace, when we look back, he's given us Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who died on on the cross for our sins So that as we put our faith in him, we can find forgiveness and hope and eternal life. This is what he's given us as we look back. When we look around, we recognize he's given us the spirit to empower us, to walk with us. He hasn't abandoned us, but he continues to walk with us and provide for us. And then when we look how far we've come, we recognize, God, by your grace, you've brought us here. But still, there's yet to come the return of our Lord Jesus. And when he comes back, guess what? There will be serious partying, won't there? So let's rejoice now because when the Lord returns, you'll be, you'll be dying from culture shock, right? Because there will be rejoicing. There will be celebrating. So let's celebrate and rejoice now who God is and what he's done for us. Let's take a moment and let's thank him together. God, we do want to stop and pause in your presence. We have much to say thanks to you for. We have much to rejoice, much to celebrate, and it's all because of your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness, your care for us. We thank you that you don't abandon us, that you walk with us. You've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that you've also promised um, to walk with us, but also to return and to take us with you. Um, You've built us not just for this life, but for the life to come. And for that, Lord, we rejoice and we celebrate. We thank you for your care, your goodness. Help us to be a people that are responsive to you, that we recognize your generosity towards us, that we'd be generous towards others, that would make an impact in the world around us as we see you and celebrate you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.